Welcome to Steelcast, Tata Steel UK's podcast about all things related to steel. Our processes, our products, our customers, our people and our communities. In this latest series, we're talking to industry experts about climate change, sustainability and decarbonisation. In the first episode, we went back to basics and talked to Pete Quinn about carbon. What is it? Why does it impact the climate? And what are its sources, man-made and natural? In the second episode, we spoke to Paul Wheeler about current steelmaking processes and the role of carbon within them. We also discussed the huge number of things that Tata Steel is already doing to reduce its own operational carbon footprint, as well as that of its supply chain partners and its products in use. Today, we're going to look at a slightly different aspect of the decarbonisation challenge, because it's one thing to understand how to reduce the carbon emissions of steelmaking and the cost of doing that, but it's just as important to understand the pull from our customers, whether that's in automotive, construction, packaging or engineering, for low carbon products. And what is the role of steel in circular economies? So to help us navigate this huge topic, I'm delighted to welcome to the pod Tata Steel UK's Director of Marketing, Russell Codling. Russ, very warm welcome to you. Hi there, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to have you on board and to add this different angle, as I explained, from from some of the more technical piece from the, to the customer perspective. So now, Russ, you've been around the industry uh, quite a long time, I think. And whilst it's probably wrong to call our customers fickle in terms of their demand, your marketing team's role is, I guess, to predict and to react to changing trends in what our customers are after so that we can satisfy them better uh, than other competing steel industries and competing materials. But how long have customers been pushing for more environmentally friendly products and solutions? And kind of how has that changed uh, maybe over more recent years uh, in your experience? Well, it's certainly not uh, a new concept, is it? I mean, we've we've been uh, working with concepts of reduce, reuse, recycle for for decades, haven't we? And uh, and, and I guess it goes back to when um, you you didn't have enough uh, pennies in your wallet to to be able to uh, make do a men during the Second World War or something of that kind of nature. And and I guess when I was a when I was a kid, um, uh, a bit of extra pocket money from um, recycling products and putting your cans or your bottles back in the um to the local shop so right. nothing's new nothing's new in this sense but uh, but I guess over over the last um certainly the back end of the last decade or, or two we've been seeing an, an increasing amount of waste and throwaway aspects within our our society with food waste now we're now we're recycling you can actually see how much food waste you create uh, a huge amount that goes out of the house each week and it's it's uh it's terrible when you when you contemplate there's not enough food in the world to feed um, uh, many of the populations. And then, then you look at our clothing and the, and the sort of scandals that sort of uh, stand around the amount of um, energy and water and, and what have you that goes into clothing. And we wear it for five minutes and the fashion's gone and, and you're throwing the clothes away. And yeah. you get the same thing's going on goods, isn't it? When we, you, you buy a, a bit of IT equipment and you, or a washing machine or whatever, and before you know where you are, it's, it breaks and you throw it away and get a new one. It's... Um, just not an acceptable concept, and increasingly that's um, that's changing for for ourselves as well as um, our customer base. We've been working with our customers for, for for years and years, of course, trying to help them improve their efficiency. And I guess the focus uh, over the last few decades has really been around that in those efficiencies, how we can engineer the products that we produce in a much better way for the application that uh, we're serving, whether that's 
um, reducing the amount of material that we put into a, a can for, for canned food, for example. So all the light weighting, the gauge reduction that we'll have by increasing the strength uh, of, uh, of the material that we're supplying. Or whether it's um, uh, us helping our customers uh, reduce the weight in a, in a car. Um, yeah. Huge work's been has gone on across our business, certainly in increasing the, the high strength steels and uh, and the performance of those steels in in producing uh, in vehicles. Obviously, that's for safety reasons, but also it helps the customers reduce the weight of the vehicle, which improves the energy efficiency. So the cost of um, petrol and diesels in progressively increasing. So car customers, consumers, we all, we all want a better efficiency out of our, our vehicle, more miles per gallon. And we as a company clearly are, are helping drive that um, those efficiencies. So those are really important. And I guess as well, there's there's efficiency benefits around emissions uh, in that sense. Uh, we all have a, a tax to pay on our, whether it's our car tax or company yeah. car tax or whatever, which is all driven by those emissions levels. So us reducing or helping our customers both through the steel products that we're developing and the application work we do through our R&D teams to help uh, our automotive customers improve the uh, the weight of the vehicle and that reduces the emissions per, per mile. So endlessly, this has been a, this has been a push for us um, over the, the, the decades up until now, that's for sure. But it's a hugely complex topic, isn't it? And you almost veer into sort of human psychology about behaviours and and do we reacting to to costs or energy or legislation or peer pressure? And you know, I can't help thinking that when we go back, even not too too many years ago, that some of those improvements you've talked about, such as you know, light weighting of, of cans for foods and drinks and light weighting of cars, whether that was more cost driven not that long ago, because you, you could sell, you know, car makers could sell their cars doing more miles to the gallon. That was a financial incentive. And can makers uh, would, would choose thinner cans because it meant less transportation costs. And yes, there was sort of an environmental benefit. But it feels, Russ, that that dynamic is changing at the moment. And the environment has come to very much the forefront of those requirements. And, and you know, you can tell better than I can about some of these customers of ours are talking about you know, local supply chains from an environmental perspective, as much as a timeliness of delivery or a cost perspective. Do you do you sense that 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 flipping of the coins, Russ? Yeah, I mean, I guess we've 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 been seeing that um, in different industries. Some industries have not um, really grasped that uh, for a little while, but others have, have been seeing that that shift as in this sort of perspective of. Um, reduced miles of transportation, understanding where the materials have come from. There's clearly um, drives to improve that traceability of materials so that um, we know that they've been, the materials have been ethically sourced and understanding all that sort of perspective. So some industries have been, um, have been waking up to this uh, over, a, over a long, long time period. But, but certainly there is no doubt whatsoever that every single industry, every single customer and their consumers are so much more acutely aware of the challenges, whether it be around carbon emissions or, or the general emissions and, being a, and the impact on, on society of yeah. producing products and consuming materials. And that, I, and I would, I would say in the last um, two or three years, that has accelerated um, beyond all previous recognition. We've got some um, 
about the societal recognition now. I think I mean, we, it, it, it's a topic of conversation. I think in our in our home life on a day to day basis, yes. what's, the, what's the impact on society of the products we're buying? People are thinking differently about where they source their food, whether they should reduce the amount of meat they eat, and all these other factors. And and, and it's pervading society, and it's transferring far more now into our customer base. Yeah. To the point now that our customers are very clear on the program of uh, emissions reductions that they need to embark upon. And they're also looking at some, I guess we uh, we, we described the, the scope one, two and three carbon emissions, they, where you look at the emissions you're directly putting to, to, to the environment, as well as the emissions that you're putting to the environment indirectly from your um, your supplier, uh, as well as then the impact of what you're you're doing beyond your um, your own factory gate. So all of these features are starting to be at the centre of how all of our customers are looking at these these factors. Yeah. And there is absolutely no doubt this is radically shifting at this point. Yeah, and I guess for your team, it's quite difficult. So on one hand, we, we, you could say, look, I feel very proud of being in the steel industry. It's a, it's a generally a low energy material. Um, but the challenges in each of the sectors, and you mentioned automotive and packaging specifically there, but obviously construction is another um, big sector for us. The challenge is much more holistic, isn't it, than just saying we have a low energy material um so in packaging it's the big issue about how recyclable it is and collecting it from the domestic waste stream and so on for cars it might be uh, light weighting and fuel efficiency electric batteries and so forth but in construction when you're putting steel into buildings which have a life of you know 40 50 100 years it's not necessarily about the light weighting or, or maybe it is you can tell us or the recycling but it's about how it can work with new technologies and, and you see things like you know the active buildings in Swansea which are using photovoltaic coatings and and the adaptability of steel as a material to to benefit the environment in a very different way how do you cope with that from a marketing perspective Russell for steel this is a, uh, a, a hugely rich space uh, the construction space because the, the challenges on um, on construction uh, are, are certainly uh, around the the emissions footprint, the emissions footprint around um, the materials, uh, what's been taken out of the ground, the the products that are produced, and then of course the construction process, and then of course the um, the deconstruction process. When you look at some of the um, the demolition that goes on uh, at the moment, you you, you look at moving. Uh, I was in in a, in a building site in London recently, and just adjacent to it. Uh, demolishing the building next door and it was a horrendous process it's just uh, very much a destruction process and that's just taking material back into waste in the, into the waste supply chain the future for construction which is also the reason why i was visiting this new new building which is um probably the first net zero uh, construction projects in the uk all focused on making sure that the construction industry is one able to address the availability of um, resources, so the, um, the the ability to actually construct the building with the manpower that's necessary to achieve that, but also to be able to deconstruct it, to produce products that go into that building that can be unplugged eventually when that building's come to the end of its life, and then it can be reused yeah. uh, and reapplied into a new building somewhere else. And the result of that is that the emissions associated with producing those products that make that building only then have an impact once 
if they have an impact at all. Yeah. Then you're avoiding the, the waste cycles. You're improving the efficiency. It's ultimately will be much cheaper. Yeah. Uh, and the, you're creating much more, much greater value um, when, you're, when you're constructing a building. And it's the, the flexibility. I mean, nothing, nothing stays the same for very long. Yeah. Uh, whether that's your vehicle, the car you're using, or, or the building you're using. Yeah. And we're, we're doing huge amounts of work with um, universities, uh, developing ourselves with government. Government's doing some good work in, in um, bringing companies together, providing funding to look at how we can develop some of this modular construction, uh, yeah. modular methods of construction. That yeah. involves a lot more off-site uh, manufacturing, uh, but also thinking ahead. So it's, uh, there's, a, there's a term called design for manufacturing and assembly. Mm. Uh, that, that's thinking ahead. That design work that goes into building a car, that list of components that's involved in building a car. Similarly, that's the direction that the construction industry is heading on now. Mm. Uh, we're deeply involved in, in, in these processes. A lot of innovations going on. Uh, within Tata Steel at the moment to produce the right products, to think differently about how buildings are actually constructed and, and for us to be able to make the right products that meet um, those challenges, whether it's environmental ones or deconstruction ones or, or, or um, the availability of um, construction resources, all holistically bringing that together and make, making um, a much more environmentally friendly societally friendly approach that's that is truly sustainable there's a lot of a lot of people use the term sustainable i think in uh, in, a, in in an inappropriate sense but this i think is heading properly in that direction and it is a hugely complex topic isn't it and you know some of those stories are you know people will be open-mouthed at the idea of recovering materials from buildings but you know, we see examples of, of buildings being deconstructed and reconstructed you know i mentioned earlier about the the technology uh, and these active classrooms that, that can create energy-free buildings to address energy poverty in poorer elements of society. We've got things, you know, we've got these electric vehicles are coming on in leaps and bounds now. People talk about driverless uh, vehicles. You've got all of that. And then you, you discuss then about modular housing. You know, you've got this issue, I guess, in the automotive industry is a, is a classic. When we went through Brexit, people talked about, you know, a component might be made in the UK, then it was shipped over to mainland Europe, it will be made into a into a unit for a car and it will be brought back and put in the car and then the car will be moved again and sold somewhere else. That whole idea of moving bits and pieces around and the environmental cost of that is another aspect that is something to be addressed as we move forward, not only with materials technology, but manufacturing technology, isn't it? Certainly is. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, new industries forming now, the hydrogen industries, the uh, the hydrogen economy, the carbon transportation, the um, the driverless vehicles, as you as you described, electric vehicles, as we as we already in the in the midst of, and uh, in construction, all the, all the sort of components that go into buildings and the, and the movements of that. And I think that's um, that's certainly another trend we're starting to see shifting clearly in the UK there's I think the UK is having to look at that even more now because of the the ability and the, and the friction across moving material across borders is a little bit more challenging so there's an economic issue there but I think the environmental issue uh, equally as you're describing around moving materials all over the place to complete the uh, the, the development of something and I think global supply chains have demonstrably become 
very fragile. They're highly efficient. There's lots of um, work gone on to maximise um, or concentrate production of various products in various places. But as soon as there's a disturbance, whether it's a, I don't know, we had the volcano a few years ago, didn't we, with um, problems in the ash clouds and all that sort of factor. And, and now we've got in the automotive industry um, the issue around semiconductors. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, semiconductor shortage across the world is undermining the ability for vehicles to be produced. Uh, and that's an issue because concentration of um, semiconductors has uh, evolved in Taiwan and uh, China and, and Korea. Uh, and that global supply chain is very fragile and that's yeah. impacting us hugely. And I think all of these features, these features of globalization, which have helped give us access to lower cost products. But we now need to recognize that there is actually a, an environmental impact here, yeah. as well as now an economic impact with the with this sensitivity of these supply chains. And yeah. I think uh, a lot of a lot of our customers are, are thinking about how how they um need to to address this, whether they reshore some of their manufacturing uh, and focusing some of those activities um, perhaps closer to the, uh, the the area of demand. Yeah, um, it's our, our role to actually facilitate and support some of that for our customer base. Yeah, and I think the steel industry is in, in quite a good place. But, you know, we talked in the last couple of podcasts about the danger of, you know, although steel is, is energy intensive, you know, the, the danger of not having a native steel industry is that you import that carbon within steel that is required in the UK manufacturing chain. But similarly, you know, there's an environmental impact of moving steel, which is a relatively cheap, relatively heavy material around the world. And so there's an overwhelming need to have a native steel industry to support the UK manufacturing industry. I mean, that's that's without doubt, isn't it now, Russell? Well, that's certainly the case. I mean, I think that that trend that I'm just describing around reshoring and refocusing on on local supply chains also requires a vibrant, dynamic uh, material supplier. And, uh, and us as a steel company, we can um, increasingly focus on meeting the specific needs of our, our local customer base. We can re-engineer some of our product outputs so that it better meets the needs of those local supply chains, rather than than seeking to produce products which are, are standardised um, that meet the majority. And instead, we can be much more focused on, on refining it to to our specific um, local customers' needs. And I think that direction is one that we can see taking place across a number of different industries. Uh, and I think, as we, as I say, as we um we invest in new technologies to support some of these new industries, the CO2 transport space, the driverless vehicles, the hydrogen economy. I think our engineering focus, the focus of our teams is going to be critical to make that uh, that, that work. And that, there's also factors here, of course, are impacting on global trade. And I think with some of these barriers and challenges that we've seen in recent years uh, will, will, will become even more um, acute as we start to see legislation to contain uh, carbon emissions. The risk is that you put a legislative point in place which restricts carbon emissions and then that, that's in a local space like the UK or, or, or other parts of Europe. And then what you do is displace the problem to somewhere else in the world. So alongside that, there is certainly going to be all sorts of legislative um, changes that take place that will also drive that localization. And I think that activity we can already see some of that behaviour starting now. A lot of our customers are thinking, where should I best produce my product? Where's yeah. the uh, legislation going to head? And, and we can see people thinking, well, my goodness, I need to 
make sure I've got a strong facility here in the UK or uh, other areas close to, to where the market is. And I see that trend building as well. And, and, and I've, I think coming back to those points earlier, our customers are seeing their customers demand these carbon reductions. Our customers are concerned that they won't have access to the available volumes of decarbonized steel. That is becoming a big concern for people. And uh, I've seen recent analyses that suggest that the rate of demand of decarbonized steel is way ahead of the current projections of availability. That supply demand gap uh, is a point which is uh, adding a lot of concern to, to many of our customers. That will result in um, in, uh, in, in a quite a different market, I suspect, uh, and quite a different set of um, commercial decisions that will uh, that will be made for uh, many of our supply chains. So uh, I think that's that's a very different dynamic we've got to see in the future. Yeah, and it's an interesting piece to dig a little bit more into because, you know, as is always the case, I guess, in our industry, the ground is shifting beneath our feet, and we, you know, we're very conscious about how environmentalists and governments are demanding and legislating for net zero manufacturing. You know, especially around our industries like ours, energy intensive industries like ours. You know, and Paul explained last episode how much we're doing around uh, lots of activities to to reduce our carbon footprint and our energy usage and so 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 on and so forth. But there are some pretty big decisions to be made in industries like ours, aren't they? And those decisions are going to need to be funded. You know, but it'd be interesting from your perspective, Russell, to understand. You know, where do where do our customers and and their customers and 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 ultimately the consumer sit? Are they as demanding of us? Are they looking to us to solve their problems or are they themselves under pressure to change their own supply chains, product mix, processes, ways of manufacturing uh, and see our role within that more holistically? I think it comes nicely back to the uh, the, the first point that um, we were discussing around um, us as consumers, us, us as um, members of society. We, um, we, we're increasingly recognising the challenge. Uh, I think we've um, we as society recognise that we're we're um, we're vulnerable as well. We've just uh, and we're still in the midst of a pandemic, uh, yeah. and we can recognise that um, we're not in control of everything, and we're we're increasingly as consumers concerned around the risk of climate change and what it will mean for us as uh, in, in in the way in which we live our lives. That driver is putting a lot of demand. Uh, in the politic- political arena, it's yeah. putting a lot of demand on the products we choose to buy, what products of food we choose to eat. And that's driving the a marketplace that's drawing through change. I can see, I, I, I guess I, I, I would um, allude to a, a sort of snowballing analogy at this point. I mean, we, we talked earlier around the drivers always been there for improved efficiency, improvements in, in, in environmental impact. But often that's been around efficiency and economics. And yeah. I think there's, there's a real shift taking place now. Um, and that, that shift is leading into changes in government policy and, uh, and finance policy, which is also changing what we need to do as manufacturers, what uh, kind of washing machine you have. And I think there's legislation going in to make sure that washing machines are repairable, not something you <laughs> throw away anymore. So yeah. some of our... Some of our uh, consumer goods customers are having to, to change the way in which they operate. So I'd liken that to that modular construction uh, uh, I was making making earlier. Yeah. So 
Our customers at the moment can see this coming as we can. They've already got customers demand their, their consumers demanding vehicles that uh, are carbon neutral or um, and and will be in their in its life cycle as well as its manufacturing cycle. And all of all of the, our customers are looking at how they're going to compete in the future mm. in their own industries, and they will therefore uh, be accelerating their programs of decarbonisation themselves. They will be demanding of their material suppliers uh, to to address their decarbonisation challenges, and that's where that lands with uh, with ourselves. Yeah. But there is another factor I think that's really uh, uh, driving through here at the moment. And that's the commitment that the financial institutions, um, our pension funds, uh, are all starting to, to push towards. Because in an environment like that, when you're looking at your pension, as anyone would be looking in terms of their, their investments, they're looking to a long-term return on, on that investment. And if they can see that their, their investments are going into uh, industries which don't have a future, uh, they will start to divert those funds. And I see that already happening. A lot of financial institutions are making their own decarbonisation commitments. That means their whole customer portfolio has to go through a decarbonisation process. So not only is it a consumer-led and consumer-driven, but it's also a finance-driven leg, which will, which will ensure that all of our customer base, as well as ourselves, will find this acceleration taking place as all of the aspects of all the economic aspects as well as societal aspects shift in the direction of um, addressing the sustainability challenges that we we can see so it's uh, it's a snowball effect it'll only get faster and we've all we've all got to be very much more focused on this well that's it's absolutely fascinating and it's a perspective that you know, not not heard before, and and makes so much sense. And uh, as is often the way, you know, money money might drive that snowball on, but uh, you know, but it's all driven about society's concern. And and actually, you know, if you if you're a consumer listening to this podcast, you might go, well, actually, I feel quite reassured by, by that that the pensions and the financial markets are on the same wavelength, and the, whether they're driving or following consumer demand is more likely to make this this happen more quickly. Um, so I think that's quite reassuring. I guess as you know, steel industry, we tend to you know look at ourselves and say, oh, everyone's looking to us because we're the energy intensive industry. This is where lots of the carbon comes from, and and you know our customers will have to do less. But from the sound of what you're saying, this is absolutely going to be achieved through collaboration throughout the supply chains, from our own raw material supplies, through steel, through uh, the manufacturers and through to the consumer with legislators and, and finance together. Is that how you see it working, Russ? Completely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge optimist as far as all this is concerned. I think it's, um, I think from a societal point of view, things are moving in the right direction. I can see a huge pace uh, around all of this. I, I think that the sort of normal levers, which finance-driven levers, demand-driven levers, um, the behaviour uh, across the value chains, uh, all of those sort of factors, I see them all working in that uh, that same direction. So yeah. I'm hugely optimistic from a societal point of view, uh, and also from a from a company point of view. I think we've got some fantastic propositions already on the table, and uh, and we've certainly seen ourselves as leaders in um, in that transparency piece around environmental product declarations for all of our products. We've always taken an approach that looks at the life cycle. 
so the use phase as well as the production phase, so that uh, we've done a huge amount of work on our life cycle analysis. We've been recognised in World Steel for the progress we've made, um, in, and that World Steel's our, um, our industry um, body that represents the steel industry across the globe, and we're regularly winning awards in this space. So I think we're doing a fantastic job in, in that sense. Yeah, I think we've got a, 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 a lot of some big commitments on the table already for our own decarbonisation, and, and I'm very optimistic about how we'll make that work. I think we've got um, the product ranges in place for construction. We talked about some of this modular construction and uh, and the spaces there, and I think we've got um, some some great steps forward, some great products, and uh, a number of areas that we're under development with academia with collaboration projects with other other of our customers so i think we're making some superb steps forwards there uh so I, i'm i'm very optimistic uh in terms of where things are where things are headed yeah and it's good that you mentioned academia in there russell because it's a it's a it's a key part of this uh, solution that we've not really mentioned up to now we've talked customers and governments and industry and supply chains but, you know, within the steel industry, we've long had very close relationships with academia in terms of, you know, future visioning, in terms of product development, in terms of a whole range of activities. And we mentioned Swansea University briefly there, but there are many others around the country. But what role do they have in helping not only the steel industry to decarbonise, but our supply chains and, and through to our communities? Well, they're absolutely critical, I'm a, and a, that's, I guess, another another reason why I'm so optimistic. We've got a, a, a fantastic network of universities in uh, in, in the UK, uh, and, and and some others that we operate with around the world, and they've got world leading uh, approaches to this, whether it be how how to manage and and, uh, and focus on supply chain developments, whether it be around uh, steel making technologies or manufacturing technologies, automation approaches, or, 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 or simply some of the economic aspects that, that, that we're looking at here. Uh, and we've got, we've got collaborations with Warwick University, Swansea, and, uh, and, and many others, as, as you're describing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that academic space is, is, uh, is critical for us. It's, um, it helps keep us on our toes. It challenges us. It, it deploys the best minds into some of these spaces. Yeah. Uh, it brings together um, because that that partnership approach, that working with academia and other of our customers or other suppliers or other uh, parallel industries, it helps us bring and accelerate forward some of the um, the technical solutions we've been working on, automation, for example, on some of the manufacturing processes that would stand behind uh, some of these building products I was describing earlier. So we've got work going on with Sheffield University, for example, in that space. And, um, and that's looking at welding technologies and, and, and accelerating some of those pieces forward. And that is enabling us to look completely differently about how we might construct a, um, a steel shed, a, a warehouse um, building, um, yeah. perhaps being able to build it from the bottom up. So it starts from the, and reducing the weight on the foundations and having less materials associated with it and building it much quicker and, and, and more efficiently. So I, I think that collaboration is absolutely critical for us. Yeah, as well as finding the new, the new, the new mind, the young minds, the 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 new inputs into this process. So uh, I, I was reading an article recently about um, the different kind of job titles that exist out there that never were there uh, just a few years ago. Yeah, uh, the sort of data scientists, the um, uh, the artificial intelligence, and all this sort of uh, machine learning kind of spaces. Really critical for all the things we're doing here. And so I'm so pleased about the, 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 the continued investment we do 
uh, as a company and um, bringing new younger people into the company. Um, some of the apprenticeship programs and the, the, the doctorates we support. Uh, and I think it's absolutely critical to, to underpin the continuation of that innovation to, to support our business and also the, uh, that of our customers into the future. Yeah, and I guess if you look at it on a broader perspective as well, Russell, you know, if you think about UK PLC, you know, the steel industry pro- provides such a, a a training ground or a learning ground or proving ground, if you like, for young, you know, scientists, technologists, data analysts, that is for the benefit of, of many wider parts of society than just the steel industry, doesn't it? You, you know, you talked about modern methods of construction and the automotive industry or, or, or the wider manufacturing industry or societal problems like recycling or scrap supply chains. You know, without the steel industry for these youngsters to come in and test their theories and have real life experiences, there are, arguably the rest of certainly the manufacturing industry in the UK would be would be poorer without our industry providing that proving ground for them, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I was just uh, talking to some of my um, commercial colleagues earlier that uh, visited one of our customers in the Midlands yesterday, uh, manufacturing wheels. And, uh, and and the number of people they were commenting on that had maybe started in, in the steel industry and worked with us at a certain period and uh, moved on in their careers and are now working in, in producing wheels for um, the automotive sector or the heavy, heavy goods vehicle sector. So Absolutely, that that kind of training, that that input into manufacturing, uh, and even advanced manufacturing. Whether it, we've, we do a lot of work in in all sorts of different um, stages of the manufacturing process, from robotics and as well as the big process and end of the spectrum in the steelmaking side. So we we absolutely uh, end up with lots of colleagues that um, that we continue to engage with uh, in other industries uh, and as they move on. In different parts of their career so absolutely you're right now listen Russell I'm very conscious of the time uh, I could talk to you all day about this it's been fascinating and certainly I've learned um, some different perspectives on the on the whole decarbonisation and sustainability perspective from a customer but even a broader perspective than that so I'm really very grateful to you it's great to hear that perspective from from the customer that you've represented you know because after all it's you know it's then they pay our bills, isn't it? The customer pays our bills. They pay for our, our salaries and our assets and our training programs and so forth. And, you know, if we as a steel industry in the UK can't satisfy our customer demands, then somebody else will. And then we won't have a business. And I'm kind of thinking if that's not an incentive enough to keep pursuing our net zero carbon goals in the UK steel industry, kind of, kind of nothing is. So, Our customers are the only, one and only reason why we're here. Yeah, yeah. And so, we'll ever be grateful. So, yeah. So, listen, Russell, uh, thanks ever so much for your time. I know you're a busy man and I'm very grateful for you sharing that story. People are going to be fascinated in it uh, as one of the key drivers for decarbonisation. And I'm sure uh, at some stage in the future, we'll be, we'll be getting you back on and, uh, and seeing how things are progressing uh, on our uh, journey to decarbonisation. Thank you very much, Tim. So with each episode, we're getting a clearer picture about the challenges and demands of decarbonising industries such as steel and the many and varied supply chains of which it is part. It's clear from today's conversation with Tata Steel UK's Marketing Director, Russell Codling, that the challenge is far from being solely about energy intensive industries. And in fact, consumer preference or demands even are driving manufacturers of pretty much everything you can think of to pursue a green agenda. It's also becoming increasingly clear that while there are some major technology challenges that could make a seismic shift, The steel industry and its partners have long been on the road 
of continuous environmental improvement and will continue to be at their cutting edge. In our next episode, we'll be talking to Tata Steel's Richie Hart about what the major steelmaking technology options are that the steel industry and governments between them will have to choose. And what are some of the implications for employees, customers, consumers and the environment alike? So thanks for listening to this episode of Steelcast. I hope you learned something and I hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to keep up to date with the latest happenings in Tata Steel UK and in this series, our journey towards decarbonisation, why not subscribe through Podbean, Spotify, Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.